0: I'm Liz, your host and the wife and mom behind unedited motherhood. Together, we'll talk about all the struggles that we face as adults, nothing is off limits. We'll uncover important truths and maybe even learn some tips to make our lives a little simpler and a lot more enjoyable. Thanks for joining me. Have you been having a difficult time getting your hands on some high quality animal protein? Before using ButcherBox, I was having to visit multiple grocery stores to find the quality of chicken, beef, pork, and fish that I like to buy. Now, I can select what cuts of meat I want and design my own box each month with ButcherBox. In addition, I can select special member deals and add-ons each month to fit my meal plan and fill my freezer. I pick what day I want it to be billed, customizing each date based on my current quantity, knowing it'll come in just two days. Try ButcherBox today. Use the link in my show notes or on the blog for $30 off your first order. Welcome back to Unedited Motherhood. We are in our No Dig Gardening series. This is Part B. We're calling last week Part A and today Part B Um, because that's how I wanted to do it. So Heidi's back with us in my living room studio. (laughs) Hi, Heidi. Hi. Hi. Um, and we're going to dive in today. If you missed last week, we talked about what the no dig method of gardening was, um, compared it a little bit to conventional gardening, talked about the importance of, you know, using compost in your no dig garden. And today we're really going to set you up. Today is going to be, um, probably the most important episode in actually getting your garden on the ground, or I was going to say off the ground, but it's on the ground, so...
1: You could do it either way.
0: Oh, I'm such a dork. Um, okay, so we'll start today by talking about creating our garden bed, um, and I think the first step in deciding how you're going to do that is where you want to put your garden, whether you want to put it on the ground or on your patio, in raised beds on the ground, and containers... Yeah, so enlighten where, us.
1: Well, where you put your garden really entirely depends on what kind of land you're working with. Um, if you are renting a space, that's obviously going to have a huge impact on what you can and can't do, according to your landlord's wishes. Um, I would, I typically I would always recommend doing pots or containers that you can move with you if you're renting since you're probably not going to be there forever. Um, If you own your space, whether you put in raised beds or create your raised beds on the ground with no sides is going to depend on the type of area that you're working with. Um, if you if your space is prone to flooding, then you're probably gonna want something up higher. I I know I throw this name a lot, around a lot, but Jessica Sowards does did her raised beds in the first place because that land gets really soggy. Um, and I've seen videos where she's just walking through mud puddles, and the, her garden is fine because it's in those raised beds, and that's just smart design, really. Um, you want to do what's going to be the most practical.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you can always plant in containers, even if you do own your property. That's a nice way to figure out where you do and don't want things. I know some people will plant in pots and move their pots around from year to year to really decide where they want specific plants to be. And then build raised structures or plant those things in the ground, in in the place that they know they want them because they've already been sitting there in a pot for a while. Right.
0: And I think another thing to consider that I was just thinking of as you were talking about all those things is um, how big of a garden you're going to have. One, because if you want to grow a lot of stuff and you're going to do either raised beds or pots, then you're going to be spending more on compost. Um, you know, I know a lot of people or some people like, especially, especially Jessica Sowards in her raised beds does, um, soil like topsoil, right. And then she yeah. amends it with compost. So she doesn't do a full no dig method well, in her raised so beds. So she does
1: cause she doesn't, anytime you're not digging, you're, you're doing no dig. But, oh, right. um, yeah, um, adding topsoil is a cheaper way to go. And that's why a lot of people do it. Um, I'm I'm not personally a fan of using topsoil. It has to be scraped away from somewhere. And that's never a good thing for the environment. Um, so I, I just generally don't like using topsoil. Um, unless you are doing the building yourself on a property and you have to move that topsoil away from where you're building your house or whatever it is then that's fine. Put that to good use. Um, But buying in topsoil isn't really the greatest thing for any part of the earth. Um, If
0: you're doing um, a lot of raised beds or a lot of pots, though, and you can't afford to buy compost to fill all of those, what
1: would you you recommend in that situation? You could mix in some topsoil. It's not the end of the world. Um, The biggest thing if you don't care about the environmental impact, which I understand some people don't, and that's fine. Everybody has their issues they care or don't care about. Uh, But the biggest issue for, for you as a gardener, if you're using topsoil, is just that it doesn't it, it's not going to be very nutrient-dense unless somebody has really been working on so it. So
0: definitely include some compost in regardless.
1: Yeah, the fact of the matter is topsoil is not going to ha- be nutrient-dense because people that work on their topsoil to, to build it and get it healthy are not scraping it off and selling it. Right. That just doesn't happen. Um, right. So, yeah, compost. Compost <laughs> is the way to go, yeah. for sure. Um, you know, if you... Have a hard time with that? You can add. Um, you can if you're doing in containers. You can buy earthworms. I've mentioned before Uncle Jim's Worm Farm. They're a worm farm out of Pennsylvania that ships at least nationally, if not internationally, and they're awesome. If you order worms from from Uncle Jim's, they are like these beautiful red wiggling worms and some cocoa core, and absolutely nothing else. I have bought worms from people before that had, like, snails and fly larvae. And, you know, you just don't waste your time. If you're buying worms, get them from Uncle Jim's. And then you add those to the topsoil, and those
0: help add nutrients? Or what's the purpose of the worms? You
1: can put those in all of your potted plants. Um worm poop is like the best fertilizer on the planet. Mm, okay. Um they do need to be fed, so you know, it's that they, they will feed on dead plant roots. So that that's good too because if you do have like some root rot happening or something like that, they'll they'll feed on the dead the dead, dead tissue of the plants and so then you're not going to have that sitting there building pathogens for the rest of the plant. Um, so that's nice. Cool. So we can add worms to our soil to make it healthier.
0: Um, compost is obviously the best if you have to mix in some topsoil. If you have a huge garden space and can't afford to do all compost, that's okay too. Yeah. And then I know there's also, uh, like you mentioned, coco coir, which is yeah. another affordable option for people to amend their beds with. Maybe.
1: Co- Cocoa core is a—it's usually sterile um, until you you put it in with compost, um, and and then it gets better. But it's basically just like a byproduct of the coconut industry. It's like all the husk fiber, essentially, um, and and it's cool. It, so people could mix that with compost then. Yeah. To- make yeah. the compost go further i i wouldn't necessarily want to do that in like a whole garden type situation but it would be good in containers okay um like you have those trees i've mm-hmm. got some fruit trees yep That i would go if you're planning on keeping your plants in pots cocoa core is good for potted plants um it doesn't have any nutrient value so you definitely need compost with that okay so then, another
0: thing with this method, and I know everybody does it a little bit differently, um, you know, Hugh Richards, like we talked about last week, does the um, raised bed with sides. So in between all of his beds is grass. So he just walks, you know, on yeah. grass.
1: Yeah, I think he likes the look of the green in in the walkways.
0: Yeah. Whereas Charles Dowding likes to do um, wood Woodchip chips. Yeah. yeah and his are all just with no sides. So there's different things that you can do to help border your garden um, or your garden beds within your garden. Um, Growing up, I always just thought a garden was like a big patch of the ground in the backyard. Um, And that's what mine was last year. I tried to make rows and I tilled them over and over. And so all my rows were, was weeds. Um, So I'm trying to figure out now if I'm going to, Uh, do wood chips or um, or what I'm going to do to kind of create walkways and borders around my smaller garden spaces within my garden
1: in your case I'm going to encourage you to keep it on the ground with no sides and um, do the wood chips and the pathways Um, our friend Jen I think we're gonna do raised beds with sides at her place Nice. Um, it really depends on your property and what the water table is like there um sometimes you can really build the soil well to where flooding's not an issue without having raised beds with sides so you can just do it on the ground and that's great i think that's what we're working on here um at other places like the Roots and Refuge Farm—they definitely need their raised beds with sides yeah, because it's just her out there so with soggy. Boots. Yeah, yeah.
0: Boots and just and I mean, it's gonna mud. be
1: if like if you have acreage or a piece of land with a lot of variance, then. it it might be different on one part of the property than it is on the other Mm -hmm. and that's okay too you can you can have different styles of beds you don't have to do all the same practice on your you know you don't have to pick a practice and stick to it it's a beautiful thing about the start small move slow thing is you can build a bed just say like four by four feet or four by eight feet and keep you know do what you want to do with it and if it isn't like super ideal for you then do something else it's okay to experiment
0: Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so before we get into planting uh, while we're talking about the actual garden bed um what do you do with your garden over winter for people that are in climates where you can't grow across the winter? Um, Mine still has all of my plants, (laughs) like the dead plants are still just sitting out there. Um, And now I'm like ready to
1: plant. So I'm like, Oh, now I need to go chop those down. And, um, Um, we're just going to cover those with cardboard. Right. You don't have to chop them down. That's too much work. I like to keep it simple. Um, But yeah, I mean, there are a few different methods. Uh, A lot of people will just put uh, heavy mulch of either compost or wood chips over the top of their beds. Um, I like to use compost. Uh, If you're doing something like wood chips, you'll want to move that aside in the spring um, to plant in because you don't, you know, that's splinters are not fun. Um, but yeah, you can, so you can either put like a heavy mulch of compost over the top of your bed, or you can, um, a a lot of people will take like a tarp Mm -hmm. and just cover it, cover it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely the cheaper option. Um, we all, yeah, if you're not making a ton of your own compost, then it is probably cheaper to use a tarp. You want to make sure it's something that's not going to disintegrate because, Trust me pieces of plastic in the garden are not a fun problem to deal with. Uh, so uh, yeah, a good sturdy tarp you can just put over the top of your garden bed and that will help keep the soil in place. Uh, it will help keep the microorganisms warm. It's like tucking like a blanket. In. Yeah, it's like yeah. tucking in a small child to go to sleep for the
0: winter, you know. Yeah, and still discouraging weeds absolutely yeah. yeah
1: so we're keeping the weeds from being able to grow at all because they can't photosynthesize mm-hmm. awesome so that's that's pretty much it for putting your when your bed your garden to bed to, to bed, bed. <laughs> putting to bed your with gar- its little blanket putting your garden to bed for the winter <laughs> <laughs> um so
0: it can hibernate
1: yeah absolutely
0: um so now let's talk planting so i have always planted with planters bought planters for my garden this year I'm starting from seed um so talk about that difference obviously starting from seed is cheaper uh, for people that are wanting to be economical right Mm -hmm. Uh.
1: yeah starting from seed is a lot cheaper and if you live in really anywhere in like the Southern two thirds of the state of Indiana. We have like a 170 day growing season, so there is no reason at all why you can't do everything from seed if you want to, at least almost. There are very, very few things that take longer than that. I think the longest season thing I've ever grown was like 160 days. Oh, that's a long time. Yeah. So, and and so many things are much shorter than that. So you can absolutely just plant everything out by seed. I did that for years. Um, I have begun to really like using plant starts. Um, I know that's something that Charles Dowding does. I've very rarely seen him plant from seed at all but he likes to have a greenhouse full of starts all the time so that whenever there's bare space, he can squeeze something in. Yeah. He's like the most efficient gardener on the planet. <laughs> um, but, I mean, you don't have to be. If you're just getting started, just experiment. Play around. Don't be afraid of killing your plants. Um, starts are great, but in our climate, there's plenty of time to go from seed. Um, starts will extend your season. Um, uh, if you're doing like. Kohlrabi or kale or, um, you know any brassicas the, broccoli, bro yeah broccoli, cauliflower, brussels sprouts. Yep, any of that kind of stuff, you can start those, from seed indoors and. Plant them like earlier in the summer and then plant them out in. Like early September because they like the cool season.
0: Mm-hmm. They get sweeter, right? They USA? get sweeter
1: in the cool weather. They do not like to be hot. If you have those things growing in the summer, um, it's not your fault. You haven't been told yet. Don't try to grow those things in the summer. They will be super susceptible to pest insects and, and just like not give you tasty food. So you can
0: either start them early, yeah, early spring like winter inside, and then plant them like mid spring. They too, don't right? take
1: long to pop up. So I like starting those types of things um, end of March. Yeah, you can start those things at the end of March.
0: Like straight, like sow the seeds outside or start them indoors. In you March. can
1: actually. I've I've planted kale seeds in the snow. There, there is a thing. Okay, so I don't know enough about it to give full on advice on it, but there is a thing called snow sowing, that's really common in a lot of northern climates, where basically you just sprinkle seeds. Certain plants really like this. Not all plants, but certain ones do. You just sprinkle the seeds on top of the snow, and then when they're ready to germinate, they'll do it and they'll come up strong.
0: That's really cool. Uh,
1: I did that with kale once, and it worked out really well. I I haven't really done it with anything else, though, so I don't know a whole lot about it, but it's cool.
0: So we can plant these things early while it's still cold out. Um, if it's warm enough, they'll germinate outside, but if we start them indoor early enough, then when it's um, not super freezing cold outside, then yeah. we can harvest them before it gets too super hot in the summer.
1: Yeah, so those types of things don't like to be frozen, but they can take a frost. And you definitely want to harvest them before it gets to be like 75 or 80 degrees out because they don't like that. Mm. Then those are done. You chop them down at ground level and put in your tomatoes, cucumbers, all, all the frost tender stuff, stuff that doesn't like a frost. So if you guys are on
0: it like bees on honey, you <laughs> might be able to grow some of these things and enjoy them before it gets too hot this summer. If not... Start them indoors over the summer, and like Heidi said, when it gets a little cooler out in the fall, plant them and extend your season that way.
1: Absolutely. That's really one of the biggest reasons why I'm so into no-dig is because I can't stand having a single growing season just in the summer. I love being able to plant and harvest spring, summer, and fall.
0: That's mm-hmm. oh, so exciting. I'm yeah, so excited. Um. So... Other than brassicas, are there any other plants that you recommend people sowing indoor that do better with germinating indoor than direct sowing?
1: Uh, you know, I don't... I'm kind of new to the seed-starting thing indoors. Okay. I'm still working on that one.
0: I know some... I've been watching Jessica Sowards, um, if you guys, we've been throwing her name around and her farm name is Roots and Refuge Farm. Um, she does, I mean, she starts pretty much everything from seed indoor, except for some, I've seen her plant carrots, I think, direct sow, and.
1: She's, um, she's a very experienced gardener and she's a very enthusiastic teacher. She is. She homeschools her kids, and I'm sure they're probably like the smart, some of the smartest kids on the planet. Because I mean, I mean, all homeschooled kids are, as far as I know, because homeschooled kids are amazing. Uh, But yeah, I mean,
0: she was telling me though or she was telling me
1: (laughs) through my computer. She was telling telling me too.
0: It felt like she was telling me. Well, that's because she's Um, a
1: good enthusiastic teacher. (laughs)
0: Not all plants like to be, like, not all roots like to be moved. So there are certain plants That's that true. don't do well. I think it was, like, melons. Yeah, um, melons
1: don't like their roots messed with. I killed a bunch of uh, pumpkins one year just because I weeded around them. Oh, wow. Uh, so I'll, I'll never do that again. I think
0: my watermelon might have been mad at me for that, too.
1: Yeah, I I, I know I made that mistake. And... uh
0: And I moved them around, too. They probably don't like that. They don't
1: like that. They don't like the roots messed with. But the good news is with no dig, you don't have to weed around them because you don't have the weeds.
0: Right. So I started tomatoes indoor because I'm just super impatient and I want tomatoes like tomorrow. Um, And some things you can multi-sow, which is putting a bunch of seeds in one little planter thingy. And then, you like my words. It's perfect. <laughs> and then when they get their first true leaves, when they're like decent sized seedlings, then you can pull them apart and their roots won't be angry at you for separating them. And you can put them in their own little planters until they're ready to go outside.
1: Yeah. A lot of plants are perfectly fine that way. They're, yeah, like carrots, there's no point in transplanting carrots. Um, I, but I'm not going to, there's not much I'm going to tell you don't do. If there's something you want to try, try it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but actually, I think Jessica talked about that specifically, that somebody told her she couldn't transplant carrots, so she tried it just because. Yeah. And she said it was fine, but it wasn't really necessary. Uh, and, and, I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, really no point in transplanting things like radishes. I'm sorry. I do laugh when I see radish starts at big box stores in their garden departments because... They grow so fast. Radishes take 28 days from seed to harvest, guys. (laughs) Like, if you don't have 28 days to harvest something that you planted from seed, I don't say this to people, but maybe you shouldn't be a gardener.
0: Oh, no. (laughs) Harsh.
1: I, I mean... Or or just learn some patience would would be the appropriate thing to say. Well, there. people
0: don't know better, right? So they if they're going to start their garden from, right. from Yeah, you know, starter plants. They think, oh, I want radishes. I'm going to look for a radish start. So it's, well, and the unfortunate not-
1: thing is is that people will buy anything that's for sale at a garden center because why would the garden center be selling it if it wasn't the right thing to plant? And the fact of the matter is, unfortunately, that the garden center is after dollars. They don't care whether your plants thrive or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that's just a hard truth that we all have to deal with. It's like buying cabbage starts in July. Yeah. You know, people buy those things. And maybe you've been one of those people. I bought some cabbage starts in September or October last year. And looking back, I'm like, why did I do that? Because I know better. Because they were root-bound. And, you know, besides that, there's the the fact that if a a cabbage has been out in the heat, it's not going to be a happy cabbage. There's a a reason why cabbage is really common in countries like Germany, where it gets cold in the winters, because it's winter food.
0: Yeah.
1: Yep. Cool. Oh, that was another rabbit trail. Sorry.
0: That's okay. Um, so, say you started some seeds indoors. Say you do buy some starts. Um, let's talk transplanting those into the garden.
1: Yeah. So, whether you've bought your tra- your transplants or whether you've grown them yourself, either way is perfectly fine. Um, basically, it's the easiest thing ever. You're gonna take. A stick or your finger or whatever will do the job, and you are going to poke a hole in the soil. You're not going to dig it. You're just going to poke a hole. (laughs) Simplest thing ever. I know kindergartners that do it all the time. You can do it too. It's amazing. (laughs) You poke the hole in the soil. You... Pull the transplant out of its container and you drop it in the hole and tuck it in. Yay. And then you put a little water on the soil and let it grow.
0: Yeah, and this is a lot easier to poke hole in the soil when you're adding compost or your own soil to the top. It's not hard ground that you're having to like... Yeah, there's no hard ground
1: that needs to be dug up. You poke a hole in the soil and it's easy because the soil is soft from being fed compost
0: right cool so if people have started seeds indoor how and say we're past the danger of frost but their their seedlings are still really tiny should they let them get to a certain size before they take them outside or is it okay to go ahead and take them out if the danger of frost is past
1: if there's no more danger of frost and it's generally you're having like 40 to 45 degree nights at least Um, for your warm season stuff, you know, your plants aren't going to be getting too cold. I, there's a thing, different gardeners have different viewpoints on it. I kind of do like to do a little bit of hardening off, which is where you just take it out during the day and bring it back in at night. Um, so there's that in-between period. This actually goes before transplanting and planting and after seed starting, but, uh, yeah so getting it
0: get acquainted with the yeah. outdoor conditions.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um just get it used to being happy outside. Um I do I I know that some gardeners will just leave their baby plants outside like here you're used to this now. Um That's yeah. that's what we call tough love, right? <laughs> um if you're a little more nurturing than that then do Bring your plants inside at night until it's warm enough to leave them out. Um, anyway, yeah, as soon as they're it's warm enough and you feel confident that your plants are ready to be outside on their own, um, you can do that. So Charles Dowding actually goes against hardening off. He's, he says it's not necessary. But, and there's a big but there. As soon as he plants his starts in the spring, he covers them with row covers, mm. which is is protecting, softening them. the transition yeah. and protecting them. Right. Um, so you can go either way. You can skip the hardening off and just protect them with, with something like row covers. Or if you're not fancy enough to have row covers, like I don't yet, uh, then yeah. Take, well, it's an extra expense, right? It's, it, it is. Yeah. 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 Might be it, a it's worth more it. steps.
0: You'll earn some more steps on your little.
1: It's it's an, counter. an it's an investor. Yeah, it's an investment. Yeah, <laughs> you're definitely yeah. So it, get your extra steps in. Just
0: take your plants outside during the day, and bring them back in at night.
1: Yeah, until it's at least less you bougie, right? <laughs> I'm I'm going to be probably buying some row covers soon, but I don't have that yet. Um, it's definitely not necessary for the beginner gardener. That's something that, like,
0: when you're really trying to extend your season and make yeah. the most out of your garden and succession planning and all of that, then row covers may be a little more necessary. Precisely. Cuckoo. cool. cool. Yeah. So if you're not doing transplants, if you're direct sowing – And they're not brassicas, you want to wait until after your last frost date, which here in Indiana should be mid to late April this year, should.
1: Yeah, our estimated last frost date is April 21st. However, there's a two-week buffer period, and this is why all the old farmers around here say not to plant anything out until after Mother's Day. What they mean, and many of them don't know that they mean this, but what they mean is that you can't plant out your frost tender stuff until after Mother's Day. Um, I I have run into farmers that just are hardcore about that rule and don't even know that it's okay to plant out brassicas.
0: So we'll wait until after the last frost. Check your 10-day forecast to make sure there's nothing flirting with 30. Yeah. And I learned that with from Jess. She always says flirting with frost. Uh-huh. It's cute. Yeah,
1: um, you want 40-degree you want nights at least.
0: Okay, and then we're going to put our seeds... Just barely cover them up, right? Twice as deep as they are wide.
1: That's the rule of thumb. Yeah, you got that too. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, so generally twice as deep as they are wide. Um, and just
0: like a little sprinkling of soil over the top?
1: Well, it depends on what it is. So, like pumpkin seeds are almost as big as your thumbnail. So I stick those up to the first knuckle on my thumb down in the soil. Yeah. Um, carrot seeds don't like to be covered with soil at all I sprinkle those on top of the soil and then cover them with a board check underneath of the board every day to see if they've popped up or not and as soon as they pop up you remove the board that's the best way to go with carrots Um, lettuces some lettuce seeds need light for germination so if you've planted a whole bunch of lettuce and you're wondering why you're not seeing any lettuce sprouting up you probably buried it too deep same thing with carrots uh there's about flowers flowers are fun i'm actually believe it or not i am relatively new to flowers i've been playing in flower gardens my entire life but the majority of my effort put toward gardening has always had to do with fruits and vegetables okay Um, so read the packets guys (laughs) read the seed packets read the packets um and and then what i like to do is just go to university youtube and yeah watch several different videos and see which one makes the most sense to you don't just watch one and and that's the reason why i don't only read the seed packet because sometimes the seed packets can have some misleading information. Usually they're pretty right, but they're not always spot on. So I like to get information from several different sources and then decide on, on what feels right. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the days till harvest on the packets, I know especially can be tricky because sometimes it's from seed and sometimes it's from transplant. Correct.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't ever tell you, it, r- it rarely tells you which one that is. Right. So, on the days till harvest, um... Be flexible, guys. But yeah, exactly, be flexible. Don't be so meticulous that that you're just, like, counting days on a calendar and marking it, saying, I'm going to harvest this on this day. Nature doesn't work like that. Um, it doesn't know <laughs> that you have a calendar. Um uh, It doesn't care. It doesn't care. (laughs) So um, if you are growing something that you've never grown before and you're not sure about when or how to harvest it, just really look on YouTube. You know, just use the massive resource that is the internet and look up how to harvest whatever fruit or vegetable it is that you're wanting to harvest and Or type in, how do you know when dot 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 is ready? And then you'll find out. That's the joy of learning and growing as a gardener. The first time I ever planted onions, I had no idea what I was doing and had to look it up on a YouTube video. And you know what? I've planted onions almost every year since, and it's been great. Yeah. So, cool. Research.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So... This is something that I didn't know people did until the last few weeks and I've been watching these YouTube videos, is that people add flowers to their vegetable garden.
1: It is one of my favorite things and, and why I'm getting more into flowers now than I ever have before. So why, why do people do this? It's good for the bees. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, so what makes your pollinators, not just bees, but butterflies and all kinds of lovely beneficial insects, are attracted to those bright colors and and potent scents, and it just makes them intoxicated and want to chill out and stay. Um, (laughs) All of your beneficial insects love flowers. Different ones like different kinds, um, so... That's just awesome to bring the pollinators to your garden. You'll get better harvests with more pollinators. And they
0: draw the insects away from your vegetable plants then too, right? If they're drawn toward the flowers. Well,
1: so like marigolds, for example, um well, the the smell of marigolds repels certain insects, the the ones oh. that you don't want eating your vegetables. Nice. Yeah. So you have just plant lots and lots of different flowers. Now if you plant way too many sunflowers i have heard that they um, release a chemical that is not great for your vegetables but it's it's totally okay to have some you can have like a whole row of i mean i've i've had a garden full of sunflowers before and still got plenty of vegetables
0: i saw too when i was reading about i ordered some sunflowers i love sunflowers
1: hummingbirds do too um
0: I read that if they get too big they can actually shade your vegetables and block the sun. So you gotta be careful with that too.
1: That's true. But if your garden is shady, then you're gonna be able to grow more lettuce. It's true. So lettuce you just gotta, doesn't like the sun.
0: You just gotta um, read up on some companion planning and see Yeah. Well which it, things will go.
1: Figure out like <laughs> I don't know why on earth I've I've seen, and this is why it's important to check several different sources, because I've seen lettuce packets say that they like full sun. Well, in my opinion, that's an outright lie, because if you put lettuce in full sun in the dead of summer, it's either going to just wilt and die, or it's going to bolt and go to seed, and you'll never get any good lettuce off of it. Um but if it's always like forty five well no that's too cold. If it's always like fifty to sixty degrees maximum, lettuce could take like six hours of sunlight, which is technically considered full sun. Why I'm not sure. So yeah, just check several different sources on that stuff. Okay, cool. So we've got everything planted. Hopefully that
0: answered all of our planting questions. Um We're going to move on to our final topic, which is um, maintaining and maintenancing your garden. Uh, So this is a new uh, practice to me, but pruning and pinching different plants. And I still don't quite understand uh, when to do that and when that's necessary and on which vegetables. So enlighten us a little bit about that. I know tomatoes, right?
1: Yeah. Tomatoes are really your primary one you want to prune and pinch pretty heavily you do not want your tomato plant to look big and bushy I know the common perception of that is that that it's a healthy plant but the fact of the matter is that if it's putting all of its energy toward growing big healthy leaves and branches it's not going to be putting all its energy toward producing fruit for you mm-hmm so if you want tomatoes off from your tomato plant and and you you'll get some if you don't prune. But if you want like a lot of tomatoes, you definitely it, it it's ideal to to prune. And I really like to prune to just one or two main branches. Um, personally I really prefer one because if there're two, like if if you're on if if you're staked to a stick and you have two branches, then that gets awkward. So I really like just one central branch. Um, I do thoroughly enjoy the practice of trellising with uh, livestock paneling. That's a pretty fantastic option. Any kind of trellis that you can reach through and get to both sides, um, that's going to be good. So...
0: In other words, skip the tomato cages. Which is yeah, skip good.
1: tomato cages. I don't know who came up with the idea that tomato cages were actually beneficial for supporting tomatoes. But there's a part of me that doubts they ever actually grew tomatoes. Because tomatoes are are not these, like, bush plants that just sit upright on their own. They need support from the center. If they just flop over and lay on the side of the cage Uh they need to be like trellis and it's really
0: hard to pick them pick the fruit too especially little ones
1: yeah Uh, although i've heard uh you know who says that tomato cages would be pretty ideal for peppers Mm. and i think she's right that, that that just makes sense yeah. to me because peppers do kind of like to lean yeah and they're not they don't necessarily need to be staked but they right. do, they like to lean a little
0: yeah several of my mine they came up from like a center stock but then they split in half the plant i mean Your the peppers. plant died yeah, yeah. yes yeah.
1: they dried out from being split no
0: no the the stem like the center stock the whole like plant split and
1: yeah well and that on its own wouldn't kill the plant but if If the center is split, then it's going to lose all its moisture. And yeah. Yeah. It died for sure. So that sucks. But the good news is so, like, if you have tomato cages, don't use them on your tomatoes, but by all means, save them and use them with peppers. Yeah.
0: And I actually had these cool tomato cages. They weren't round, they were square, and you could, like, open them and hook them together. And so I'm going to extend them all out in a straight line, kind of like a trellis, and uh, maybe trellis some of my lighter weight tomato plants or something like that up them just to use them so I don't have to waste them.
1: You could probably use them and just support them with some of those fence posts that you use. That's a great idea. I think I saw them out there. They look fine, just you'll want to use something sturdy to support them so they don't fall over.
0: Right. And I am going to get some cattle panels too because... They make really cool arched trellises. The arched
1: trellises, I did, I've done that a uh, few years. And unfortunately, I was doing it in a place that that was having to be tilled. And so I was taking them down and putting them back up. <laughs> it's such a painful process because after I put so much work <laughs> putting them in in the first place. But the first time that I put them up... Everybody around me was like, what are you doing? You're crazy. What's going on here? What, what? They were just like, thought I was nuts. And then I grew these gorgeous African, giant African gourds on them. And by the end of the growing season, people were coming and having their pictures taken under them. And, oh, nice. and saying what a brilliant idea it was. And I totally copped it off Jessica Sowards on Roots and Refuge. She has a great video on how to put them up. She too. does. I
0: watched it. Yeah. I'm going to do it. And I have another friend that has some cattle panels, but she also got from Tractor Supplier Rural King, like a roll of just like wired fencing. I can't remember what it was called.
1: The woven wire fence. I
0: can't remember. I looked at it and she just like unrolled it and then staked it and used yeah. that as a trellis.
1: You can do that. It works just It's fine. cheaper. It is a lot, a lot cheaper than buying. Yeah, cattle if you panels. have access to cattle panels or can afford them, do it because <laughs> they're awesome. But yes, you can use the roll, the fence rolling too. Um, I prefer the cattle panels mostly because they're super sturdy for one thing, but also they have big holes in them that you can reach through comfortably right. so if you need to harvest a fruit on the other side of the trellis you can yeah. do that without any problems right. but um but yeah i mean the fencing stuff works too it's not quite as sturdy so you want to support it a little right. bit Right. she was more. staking
0: it with yeah yeah
1: with, with the fence posts right yeah mm-hmm. that's a good way to go for yeah. sure
0: if you're trying to save money Um, we'll, we'll link some super helpful Jessica Soward's videos where she implements some of these practices that we're talking about to give you guys some more, um, visual aids. If you're planning to use these different methods that we're talking about. Um, so another thing I wanted to talk about trellising, but we accidentally skipped over it.
1: Well, but then we just accidentally talked about it. We did just
0: accidentally talk about it. So (laughs) it worked out. Um, so let's name all of the plants that can grow on a trellis because, in my mind, trellises are only for flowers. And then when I saw Jess use the cattle panels, I was ah. like, ha-ha. So you can do small melons, cucumbers, tomatoes.
1: Yeah, I mean, we can make beans. a list. Or, yeah, beans are great. Uh, if you want to keep it super simple, anything that vines. Yeah. Well, okay, so I say that, but not sweet potatoes. So sweet potatoes, vine I, sh- I should say anything that vines that does not put out roots from the vines um s- sweet potatoes and a few other plants will root down into the ground from the vine and so those need to be on the ground in order to give you your food that you're looking for but yeah any gourds cucumbers zucchini a lot of different kinds of squash um pumpkins watermelon you just have to be careful with the bigger melons
0: because they will need some support yeah so jess talks about that too in her video you can put a grocery bag or a pantyhose and put it around the fruit and then tie it up to the trellis yeah so that it's
1: there supported. that's yeah that's a it's a pretty common practice uh, it makes perfect sense um, you can make basically a hammock for your fruit that's growing I've done a lot of really – so you can do that if you're being, like, extra cautious about not losing your stuff. But I've grown a lot of viney stuff and not supported it at all, and it was perfectly fine. The stems are really strong.
0: You just have to let them not get super big. She's talked about watermelon – like, big watermelons dropping. But if you do, like, personal-sized melons or you pick your zucchini before it's bigger than you – Yeah, most of your
1: stuff – well, it is a – like generally good practice to support your melons to make sure they're not dropping off the vine um, it's not always necessary
0: okay so trial and error guys try however you want and if
1: yeah really if you have a
0: big splat then maybe tie the next one up
1: if you have a big splat leave it there cover it with some compost and maybe you'll just happen to have melons grow next spring. <laughs> um,
0: so if we're covering our plants or our ground with compost, then we need to water less than if we use topsoil. So let's talk watering. Yeah.
1: So you don't need to water nearly as much because all the microorganisms in the soil and, and the compost itself hold moisture. Um, I really mostly only water if like when I first put in a bed or if it's been super dry for a long time um, and I mean even sometimes like if if you just take your fingers and go an inch or two down into the soil if it still feels cool and at least slightly damp you don't need a water hmm. um, when you do water like say it gets hot and dry for a long period of time It's going to be ideal to water at the base of your plants. Most garden vegetables don't need a whole lot of water on their leaves. They don't necessarily want a sprinkler. I mean, some do fine with sprinkler, but a lot of plants like tomatoes, for example, and green beans, if you put a sprinkler on those, they don't like water on their leaves, and they'll shrivel up and look like... and, And this is the thing with houseplants, too. A lot of people kill their plants by overwatering because the leaves are shriveling up and looking like they need more water, Mm. but they've really had way too much. Yeah. Um, Symptoms of overwatering look like symptoms of dehydration if you don't know what you're looking at.
0: Interesting. And I read the other thing about watering um, tomatoes is that the more you water them, the more watery the actual fruit will be.
1: Yeah, so a day so or two. So they will have less flavor. Yeah, a day. So water your tomatoes all season long, but then a day or two before you go to harvest, don't water them. Let them dry out a little bit, and then they'll concentrate the flavor in the fruits. Um, I got that from you know who, yeah, and, <laughs> and it does happen to be true.
0: I haven't, I haven't tried that out yet, but I did hear her say that, and I, um, I think that might be why my tomatoes were not I mean some of them were great last year but some of them we watered our garden with a sprinkler like twice a week don't beat yourself up though
1: because it could easily also be the variety yeah like last year I grew tomatoes that were just a bad variety they didn't taste good um there were some hybrids spread for production and that that's fine you know there's a time and place for almost everything but um yeah if you're if you're growing stuff for just for you and your family to eat, try to pick some really tasty varieties. Go with the ones that have the best reviews on the flavor. Yeah. So
0: we're getting close to the end here, guys. Do you feel empowered to start your gardens?, <laughs> um, Weeding. When you're gardening with compost, you don't have very many weeds. That's I'm, true. I'm anticipating. I've heard it said over and over. I'm still skeptical because of I my scarring from last year's garden. Oh,
1: man. I have had some gardens that were way more weeds than vegetables. Not anymore.
0: <laughs> well, and I heard, um, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think his name is Richard Perkins. He's a permaculture market gardener that has this, wildly expansive multi-thousand square foot garden in Sweden um and it's really addicting to watch his videos but then I realized super impractical for me as a beginning gardener because <laughs> I was just totally losing touch with reality but he- as,
1: as as a beginning gar- gardener watch Hugh Richards <laughs> yes and Jessica Sowards. she's still
0: I mean, she has really great beginner information, although she still does garden on a pretty large scale yeah. compared to what most people need because she has six kids. Well, she, she gears the information
1: toward beginner gardeners yeah. And she has a really great book, The First Time Gardener. She
0: does. Well, I'll, I'll link that um, through my Amazon link for you guys. Um, That's where I got it. Or actually, I think I got it through Barnes & Noble. You can get it anywhere, but I'll link it for you guys if you want to get it. It's a beginner's vegetable gardening book.
1: Well, and if you're budgeting on a or if you're budgeting on a garden, if you're gardening on a budget, (laughs) Hugh Richards has an amazing book, Grow Food for Free. So uh, Richard Perkins,
0: I think his name is, he was talking about how most gardeners that are not doing the no-dig method spend 80% of their time weeding in the garden. Easily. And yeah, like at least 80%. I think it was his video. I could be misquoting that. It was either him or Hugh Richards. But he was saying like, you need all of that time to harvest vegetables. Like the majority of the time that you need to be spending in your garden is harvesting because I always just would go out like once a week and kind of get everything that's ripe. But turns out that there's an ideal time to harvest all different kinds of vegetables. Yeah, that's true. Attending to your plants and knowing when to grab them is...
1: There are people that strictly garden by... phase of the moon and that is it i don't necessarily practice that but it's a super valid way of doing it it works if if you plant and harvest according to the phases of the moon you're you're doing stuff like every single day and and you'll have a very productive garden (laughs) (laughs) cool yeah but weeding yeah i mean you've so you guys are going to be absolutely astounded by how few weeds you get if you do the no dig thing. I mean I'm still blown away with it. I've been like sort of practicing it in different areas off and on for a few years now but last fall I put in my first real like Charles Dowding style no dig bed and I've literally pulled like one dandelion out of it.
0: Yeah, I just can't wait. I'm so and excited. And I told
1: my sister today I got a dandelion and she was like, "Oh, really? She was excited about dandelions because they're <laughs> medicinal and delicious." Um but I was like, "No, I don't really want to eat that dandelion because of the lawn care previously." But yeah, I mean, you just don't you're you're really uh, I I have no convincing to do because you're not gonna believe how awesome it is until you see it. I really just wanna encourage you to try it and see what happens for yourself um and you know, if you have questions, email me <laughs>
0: we'll We'll put our email in the show notes. so I think that wraps us up for creating your garden and planting and maintenance. Maintaining it, I cannot get that out. Maintaining your garden, taking care of it. Um, next week, Heidi's going to be back with us again. So excited! Uh, we're going to talk about harvesting uh, your fruits and vegetables and how to preserve them. How uh, we talked about extending your season a little bit, but we're going to talk more about that and more about succession planting, and then. Um, something that's really cool that I didn't know about, but seed saving. So how to save seeds from the vegetables and fruits that you're growing so that you don't have to buy seeds the following year. So Heidi, before we close out, do you have anything else that you want to add today that we missed for people that are ready to plant their garden and build their garden bed and get those plants in the ground?
1: You've got a few weeks to, you know, just play around. Watch YouTube videos, read some books, have fun. I mean, if, if if you don't know what you're doing, that's okay. Just try. You know, you'll get it. Just try. Yeah. That's
0: all you gotta do. Try. <laughs> no,
1: I mean, really, though, like just try it and if you fail you'll learn from it and harvest the lesson yeah (laughs) if i can snag another quote from from Jessica it's seriously though harvest the lesson you know turn your waiting room into a classroom those are solid pieces of advice i can't take credit for but i i do actually try to live by by them because it's worth it you know life is more fun when you are really excited about something and it's not there yet, but just take that time to learn as much as you can. And if things don't work out the way you expected, just learn from it. Yeah, do better next time. You know, basic life stuff, guys. Right. That's what the <laughs> That that's what the garden is really about. It's basic life stuff.
0: The garden is full of life lessons.
1: It really is. There's one uh I can't remember who said it. But basically, you can teach philosophy while teaching gardening, but you can't teach gardening while teaching philosophy. Nice. So if you're sitting in a room having big existential conversations, it gets you nowhere for growing food, but you can have those conversations out in the garden. Sure can. Yeah, it's fun stuff. (laughs) Well, guys,
0: happy gardening! Uh, we'll we'll talk to you next Tuesday. Have a great week!
1: Bye.